Now listen, if you open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. We're going to go through a little bit of 1 Samuel. In fact, we might just we might just park in the book here for a while in 1 Samuel. Amen? Amen. I don't mind doing that. That'd be kind of good because it's an interesting Samuel is interesting. So we got first and second Samuel. But really, these two books are on one scroll in the Torah. They're on one scroll. So they were actually divided up. And of course, we know there's Saul. And then uh, the second part is about David. And then, of course, we see the beginnings of it. Last week, we talked about Hannah and her plight and her concern in her life. And we talked about that until she came to the knowledge of the truth. In fact, we learned that Hannah overcame. Amen? Amen. And listen, if Hannah can overcome, you hear me this morning? If Hannah can overcome, right? Can you not overcome? That's what I'm talking Amen. about. Amen. That's the truth. Overcome. We only overcome because of the blood of the Lamb. We only overcome because of the presence of Jesus in our life. We only overcome because He overcame. He didn't just die on that cross and was buried and that was over. No, He died on that cross for you and for me. He was sinless. He had no sin. But he took upon your sin and my sin when he hung on that tree. And he paid the debt that you and I could never pay. We could never remove our sin. That's why Christ came. He shed his blood. And then he rose on the third day. He rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he says, We too that know him as Savior and Lord of our life will rise from the dead one day. In fact, you should be already risen in your heart, right? Because he gives new life. He brings the Spirit of God comes inside the believer. And makes them brand new. And I, isn't it wonderful? It's wonderful to know that. But we learned that Hannah overcame. She overcame from having a not so good life of being barren. Remember, she couldn't have babies. Being provoked by another woman who had plenty of children, right? Looked down upon in the circles of her society where she lived 3,000 years ago. Feeling like a major failure. She felt like a major failure. Feeling insignificant. Like she didn't matter to anyone. This is the way she felt. You ever felt like that? Sure, we've all been there at some point in time. But see, here Hannah finds the answer, right? Who is the answer? God is the answer. She finds God, the God, Yahweh, who loves her and reveals himself to her. Hannah gets up and goes to the temple. She cries out to God. He hears her prayers. He comes into her and turns her life 180 out. Totally turns around her life. And she recognizes the holy God. Her prayer is answered. She has a child. And she gives the child back to God to serve in the temple for the rest of his days. Amazing. How many of you would give up your children back to a, back to the house of the Lord? Amen. It's something to think about. She was serious about God. She was full of life all because she met her true love. She met God. She met the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she is radically, unequivocally transformed in her mind, is totally renewed. She's not thinking about what she doesn't have. She thinks about all that she has in Jehovah God. She has everything. And we're not much different. When we have God, we have everything. See, God loves her. And she loves God. Can you say that this morning? Today I want us to continue as we go through the book of 1 Samuel this morning. I want us to look at 1 Samuel and see how Hannah's praise reveals a king who is worthy of our worship. He is so worthy of our worship. And so many times we have a difficult time uh, getting uh, what is worship, right? 
There is value about thinking about worship. And so today we're going to talk about worship. What is worship, right? You ever think about how closely worship and sporting events are? <laughs> you ever think about that? Sporting events are often, they are kind of parallel one another, you know, when you think about it, right? We're going to talk about that. In fact, listen, uh, you ever see fans at a sporting event? Like some of these up here. I think i got pictures of some up there. All right. Isn't that crazy? I think it's the Buffalo Bills, right? Uh, I'm not sure who those people are, but anyway. There they are at Fenway Park, right? Oh, what will people do when they go to a ball game, right? Isn't it crazy what they do? It is amazing what they do, right? Right? People go crazy. Listen, they dress up. They scream. They shout. They do things we normally wouldn't do in everyday life. Amen? They do some crazy things, right? People enter through the gates of a sporting arena singing their team's praises. They do. They do that. They watch as the team warms up and they get all giddy and excited over their favorite players on the field. I mean, come on. Who wouldn't want a selfie with Tom Brady? See? See what I mean? Who wouldn't want that selfie, right? Sister Connie would. <laughs> There's some diehards that just don't like them, man. Anyway, but I get it. I get it, right? Who would want? Listen, they give one another peace and peace and high fives and all that good stuff, right? And they sing the national anthem or the official team song. They do that. There's rituals in there like the coin toss. Who gets the ball first, right? Flip it a coin, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of things that parallel what we do in our own churches. But if you think about it, for many sporting events, they are similar to religious services. The sporting arenas are like the house of worship. They're sacred spaces and those big, big, giant coliseums, those big stadiums where all these people gather. Think about it. And, and at least they treat them as shrines, right? You ever see it? They're like shrines, right? That's what they think they are anyway, right? That's how they treat them. Everything feels like a worship service. I've been to some of them, right? Anybody ever been to a professional game? Anybody, right? I've been, I've been to, I've been to baseball where there were twenty thousand people. I mean, pack a church out with twenty thousand people, right? This is not happening, right? But don't twenty thousand people show up for a baseball game? Think about that. Or eighty thousand fans in a football stadium, right? Or more. I think Tennessee holds, what, 107,000, something like that? Think about it. It's just really amazing, right? Or how about hockey, right? Go Lightning, right? So I don't know how many that stadium holds. I don't know how much the Coliseum holds there. Or like golf, man. You ever watch the PGA golf? You know, that slow, watching paint dry game. <laughs> so anyway, this is what it was like. But hey, man, they'll have 100,000 people out there meandering all over the golf course watching guys get a little bit of cow pasture pool. Right? That's what I call it. Anyway, yeah, I like it. I like it. I'll play it. you got to be there. Anyway, listen. How about NASCAR? Right? Man, I see when there's 200,000 fans in the stadium and they're watching these guys make left turns. That's right. For hours. Exactly. Left turns. Okay. He's making a left turn. He's got it down. Right? So, I mean, think about it. You ever think about it that way? I'm just thinking about it. But they'll sit there for hours. And we'll sit in church and go. Come on, man. Pastor, I've got to beat the Methodist to the buffet. Well, think think about that for a minute. So sometimes I think we get worship all wrong. Right? 
There's a reason sporting events carry so much power and influence for modern people, including Christian America. Including Christian America, right? Because they give a place whereby we can express our need, hear this, our need for worshiping something greater than we are. This is why we esteem these famous people so highly. We think of their greatness. So just take a note of how we do things in a sporting event that at least one would think we would do in a worship service, but often don't. Listen, expressing emotion, praising, lamenting, right? No doubt lots of prayers going up. I've seen people at football games praying. Oh, please, let me make that kick. Let me make that kick. Kicks a 60-yard field goal. Ah, they're praising him for it all. They go nuts. Right? So in light of the similarities we see between worship events and sporting events, we wonder if it is a helpful insight has been exposed to us this morning. I want you to think about something this morning. Is it worth considering something important and maybe frame it in a question? And here's my question for us this morning. Is it possible that sporting events draw out the right kind of worship to the wrong God? Is it possible that we draw the right kind of worship but to the wrong God? Let that sink in just a little bit. It's easy to replace the right God with the wrong God. Amen? Amen. We do it every day. A lot of times we as Christians will do it sometimes. The right worship or false worship. Now, if we have gotten off track and fallen into false worship, we can certainly get back on track as we learn from the Scriptures this morning. And so we're going to talk about worship this morning. This morning, as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we can discover true worship to the one true God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This Scripture will help us identify the theme of kingship in 1 Samuel and reveals the meaning of transformative power of worship, listen, to the king and its impact in all of our little lives. Hannah lived about 3,000 years ago. That's a long time, isn't it? 3,000 years ago. She shows us the way to go into true worship, which is what we are talking about in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. We concluded doing chapter 1, went through all the woes and all the things she went through, but something had happened in the middle of chapter 1 that totally turned her around. And then she expresses her love in chapter 2. She shows us the way to go, the true worship. So let's listen to Hannah's heart listen, as, as, as she worships while we read it together in 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts the Lord. My horn is exalting the Lord as her strength. The horn is her strength. She's lifted up. She's strengthened by the Lord. She says, my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Your big wife. She's rejoicing in the God of her salvation right here. You see that? There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. There is no rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, and the feeble gird on strength. 
Those who were full hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry ceased to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven. Hmm. We're just thinking about Penina there. Hmm. But she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down the shield, the grave, and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He set the world on them. He keeps the feet of His godly ones. But the wicked ones are silenced in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them He will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and He will give strength to His King, and will exalt the horn of His anointed. He's talking about Jesus here. And then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah. But the boy, Samuel, that she gave Hannah gave back to the Lord before Eli the priest. For the rest of his life, he became a priest. So I have a question. So what? What do we learn or can learn about worship from Hannah's experience here in this scripture? Well, number one, we'll start with on the back of your Sunday papers. You should have some fill-ins. Number one, a definition of worship. Write that in. A definition of worship. Just what is worship? You ever ask yourself that question? Just what is worship? It's a great question here. It's a very good question. Here's a very simple definition of worship, right? It is our glad response to the goodness of God. Our glad response to the goodness of a great God who loves us. Pretty simple. Straight to the point. Are you not glad what God has done for you? Amen. And we respond by what? By being in his house today to worship him. The way, the truth, and the life. Amen. That's why we're here. You see, we all have a built-in tendency to worship something, right? We are designed for worship. God has designed us for worship. He really has. God has placed in every single heart a desire to worship something greater than themselves. He's put it in all of hearts. It's there. It's innate. Listen, we're made in His image, for crying out loud. Right? We're made in the image of God. Male and female, He made us. Now you might say, what about atheists? What about the secular world? You might say, what about... You know what? They also worship something. In fact, in England, listen, there's an organization called Sunday Assembly. And that's something. Sunday Assembly. And here's their mission statement. It says, we are a network of secular, non-religious communities who gather to celebrate this one life we know we have. We're a global movement for wonder and good. Sounds good, don't it? And one founder statement says this. He says, the more time you spend thinking about how awesome life is, guess what? The more awesome it is. He explains, right? He explains it. Just being alive to become conscious that you are alive and celebrate that is just a transit. 
Just as transcendental as anyone's God. Isn't that interesting? It's sad. God has put it in our heart. It is very sad. God has put it in every man's heart to worship. Sunday assembly is an atheist church. So, you see, we all worship something greater than ourselves. The object of their worship is what? Life itself. That's the object of their worship. And the joy of it. The joy that they have life. But to a, to a, a, to a degree, life is worth celebrating. Amen? It is. But we would encourage them, listen, to press more deeply. Press more deeply into the meaning of what life is and where it comes from. And that's what we want to encourage people. To look more deeply. More, look more deeply into the Word of God. To find that life, humanity, and the author of life belong what? Together. We all belong together with God. Think about this once we take out, listen, the aspect of the Creator out of our reality. Then reality itself doesn't really make sense because we're just here. So from Hannah's song, we see the heart of what true worship is. Amen? We see what true worship is. So what can we learn from this 3,000-year-old song? Number two. Here we go. Right in the end. True worship centers, centers on the true God. True worship centers on the true God. So imagine this, right? So you and I, Brother Gary, we're going to go down to a bunch of us. We get together go down to a Bucks game, right? So we're all excited. We're all ready. Yes, go Bucks. We'll go down there. Of course, it had to be a Saturday, Monday night football, right? So we have to go down there, right? So, uh, and so we get everything together. We're all excited, right? You've been there. You've been to a game. You know some of them. You get excited. You're like, oh, yeah, I can hardly wait to see See, see the Rays play, or whatever the case may be, right? And they're doing good, yeah. And we get excited about going to see a sporting event. We get down there. You ever tailgate? <laughs> Sometimes I think I like that better than the game, right? Get those ribs cooking, get all that stuff, and people out there celebrating in the parking lot. You think what that looks like? Think about that. That looks kind of ridiculous. But if you know what they charge inside, you'd gladly do that, right? So that's kind of why a lot of people do that, right? But think about it. They're celebrating. They're getting ready. They're getting geared up for the big game. And so they're sitting there and they're cooking and they're laughing and drinking and doing whatever they want to do. They're laughing. They're getting ready for the excitement of a big game. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. In its proper place. And so they come into the stadium. They walk through the gates. They make sure they got their tickets. And their tickets are punched and they're ready to go in. They go in, they walk by concessions with $8 hot dogs and $10 hot dogs or whatever it is. And they go on to their seats. They go find their seats. And they got perfect seats. They're up there in the horseshoe where they can see everything. They're on the 50-yard line. And they can see all the ant men on the field, right? They might be way high up or whatever. And they're sitting there getting ready. The ref comes out. He blows the whistle. They line up the kickers. And then one party in your group says, Hey, man. I think I'm going to go down and check out the facilities. Right? Does that make sense? I think I'm going to go down. I'm going to go. I think I'm going to park to see how many cars are in the parking lot. Game's fixing to kick off, right? You're sitting there looking like, what? What is this guy trying to do? What in the world are you talking about? We came here prepared to see the game. Well, I want to see how many concession stands there are. 
Right? That sounds crazy, don't it? And then it is, won't you come with me? No, man, the ref is blowing his whistle. Kickoff begins to take place. What would you say to that person? What would you say? No way, man, I'm staying here. I'm watching the game. This is what I came for, right? Watch the game. Now, I want us to take this thought a step further. Now listen to me. Draw in. Is it possible this morning to be distracted from the focus of our worship? We all can get distracted from the focus of our worship. Why are you here this morning? I mean, think about it. The lights, wonderful lighting, the sounds of the music, right? People, clothes. <laughs> Those are not the focus of true worship. We must all focus on the main thing, amen? God! We've got to focus on Him. We must worship God Himself. So when we look at Hannah's song, don't we see the main attraction being worshipped? Absolutely, yes. God is being worshipped. Let's notice how many times Hannah focuses her worship on God. Listen, she focuses her worship on God no fewer than 21 times just in the scripture from 1 to 11. She mentions God. She mentions He, yours. She's mentioning God. Her focus, every line is on God. Everything about her is on the God who saved her. It's her single focus on God alone. It enables her to sing, listen, of her deliverance. Of her deliverance. Listen, from shame to honor. He has brought her from shame to honor. Think about that. Brought her up to her future hope of coming, of the coming Messiah. Listen, only real encounters with the Holy God brings with it a real worship and a change of perspective. Our perspectives need to be changed in the church today. Even if the circumstances of our lives do not change, even though our circumstances in our lives don't change, it doesn't change the fact of who God is. Amen. That's why I'll say, nothing ever occurs to God ever in your little life. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head and more than that. He knows you inside and out. He sees in every heart this morning. He knows what we're thinking right now. You're thinking, well, brother, this might be a long Mother's Day message right here. He knows what you're thinking. But listen, don't entertain the stinking thinking, the distractions that the devil will try to get you to think about. Focus your attention on an almighty God who loves you. He loves you so much. Listen, Hannah saw her God, and that changed totally everything in her life. She was not the same person she was before. You see, God wants to change all of our perspectives. He does. When we get that, listen, when we get that inlook right within our hearts as we're looking and gazing upon God, we get that inlook within our own makeup of who God is and the person, personal touch from Him. Listen, it will change our outlook and how we see the world. It will change how we respond to our circumstances. It will change everything about us. When we have the right inlook in our heart, and God resides in here, when we receive Him as Savior, listen, He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come into your heart. He's going to teach you everything. He's going to show you the way. He's going to speak to your heart as you, as you spend time in God's Word. He's going to speak to you through other people. 
He's going to speak to you. He wants to speak to your heart. He changed because you're alive in Jesus. You're not dead. You're alive. And anything that's alive, God wants to speak into your heart. He wants to tell you things. He just wants to tell you things. So we've got to get the end look right. What's inside? We've got to be changed on the inside. Your life is radically changed when you receive Him as Savior. And to let you know He is real and very much loves you. He loves you so much. You know, people go to church for many reasons. You know that? People go to churches where, you know, why do we come? Lots of times we come to what? Sometimes to see people. You ever come to see people? We come to see people. I love coming to see y'all. It's awesome. I love y'all. Love you very much. We come to talk with people. We come to church to talk with people. To get the latest, sometimes the latest scoop or gossip on people, right? Uh, or sometimes we come to church to make sure you're, sure you're noticed. You ever done that? Or to feel better about myself. You ever come to feel better about yourself? Listen. To get better perspective on life or to hear some good preaching. Amen? Good preaching, right? Amen. So let me ask you a question. So do any of these reasons sound familiar? If we were fully honest with ourselves about what we do on Sunday, at least some of these in this list touch on the real reason we attend service in a weekend. But Hannah's experience with God in worship reminds us of a powerful and terrifying truth. I want you to get this. Write this down. Our focus in worship is what? It's the living God. Our focus is the living God and His Son and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you come in here, you must focus on who? On Him. You're here to focus on Him. You're going to focus on Him, who He is. Almighty, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-sufficient, sovereign God of the universe. Holds everything in his grasp. I've been I like watching about the web telescope. Anybody out there like doing that? Man, I'm telling you, that telescope is confounding these guys that thinkers that think they're so smart trying to find the end of the universe. And what do they do? They find another universe. My Bible tells me in the last, I think, line of the book of Revelation, to his kingdom there is what? I tell, I tell science, there's, there's no end to God's kingdom. It's forever. I mean, they're talking billions of light years, yet they think, oh, we're looking back in time. I, I get that. I understand what they're saying. We're looking back in time at the Big Bang. Now the Big Bang's confounding them. They're, they're not even sure the Big Bang did it. Because <laughs> it didn't. That's right. Jesus said, let there be. Woo! Big boy, there was. He didn't just create one galaxy. He created billions of galaxies. They're not going to find the end. Yet they won't give any credence to a creator. A designer who loves you and me. Enough to put us in the middle of the vastness of the universe. Come to this little planet called Earth and die on a tree. To forgive you and me of all of our sins. Of lying and cheating and stealing and being dishonest and dishonoring mom and dad. All those things. You can't get rid of that. Only person to get rid of that is Jesus. That's why he came to seek to save that which was lost. You have a debt you can't pay. You have no ability to remove it from yourself. 
What you send is there. Only Jesus and his blood can remove it. The sacrificial lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. The one who knew no sin, but became sin. Not his sin, your sin. My sin. He took it on his body. He died on a tree. He poured all his blood out because he loves you and me. That's why he came. Why can't we just give our allegiance to him? Why can't we give our lives to him? Why can't we just trust him? Jesus said himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? No man comes to the Father but by me. And people will say in the world, that's narrow. That's a narrow. Listen, all roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. One road leads to heaven. And you've got to go through the sun, Jesus. And if you would just research it, if you would just look through the scriptures and have an open heart and open mind and let God fill it, he will show you the truth of his word. And then when you get saved, he shows you much more than that. He'll show you for the rest of your life. Our focus in worship is the living God, his son, Savior, Jesus. <coughs> Listen, it's not just about our needs. This is what I'm getting at. It's not about our needs. Do we need to be in church? Yes. But it's not about that. It's not about, listen, it's not about our hopes. It's not about our hopes. It's not about our prayers. It's all about who? Jesus. It's all about the God who created heaven and earth and everything in it. That's why we come to worship Him. We see what He did for us. He meets us. He changes us in worship. We come here to be changed. We come here to look to Him and to thank Him for all that He's done. The very reason the writer of Hebrews challenges us to do what? In Hebrews 10, look at verse 23 through 25, Hebrews 10, 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't waffle back and forth. Don't live on the edge of the ledge. Man, you live on the edge of the ledge and you think you can just live any way you want to, you're going to fall off and you're going to die. God wants us to trust Him with all of our heart, our soul, love Him with everything. No wavering, for He who promised is what? Faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another. That's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to stimulate you, right? One another to what? To love the good deeds. We need to do that. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Now, Brother Phil didn't write this. You understand that, right? Okay? You don't forsake the assembling of yourself together as a habit of some. But he says, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day? What day is drawing near, folks? Jesus is coming back. Don't be caught like a thief in the night. Don't let him catch you like a thief coming in your house. You better be ready. Heaven is definitely a prepared place for prepared people. He wants us to be ready. His encounter with all of us is huge and powerful. It really is. We are encouraged Listen, and transform to stay on course, right? That's what he wants. Hold to the faith. Proclaim the gospel to the world that desperately needs the Savior Jesus. Amen? We have heard all our lives that God wants us to go to church. Have you heard that? 
Go to church, go to church. The truth is that God doesn't want us to go to church. You know why? Because we are the church. You hear me? Because we are the church. When we gather together, we are the church of the bride of Christ. We're the church. Triumphant, too. We're a triumphant church. We are the church. And as we gather together to worship the living Christ, we are encouraged, changed, and challenged in Christ. It should be that, right? Amen. So when you come to worship, you have to ask the question, why do we do it? Well, Hebrews 10 is one of the reasons we just read. Is anyone forcing you to come here? No, but you're here. Praise the Lord. Why do we sing songs and hear God's word preached? Why do we pray, thank God, and plead with Him? Why do we do that, right? Why do we receive the ministry of the Spirit of God, right? Why do we look to God to do a work in our lives when He when we come to the sacred place? Why? We don't do this out of obligation. You better not. But to encounter a holy God who has saved us. He has saved us. Who has changed us forever? Listen, through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus. Our risen Savior, our Lord, we all worship an audience of who? Of one. Of one. And He looks down at all of us, right? Our risen Savior. We worship our God and we worship Him alone. Because there is no other beside Him. He stands alone. It may be good to make it a practice to ask yourself some questions before you come to church the next time. And I'll put these on your paper because I want you to think about this next time you come to church. Ask yourself, why have I come today? That's a good question. Before you get here, listen, I want you to have church before you come to church. You hear me? Why have I come today? Why have I come? Second thing, for whom am I here? For whom am I here for? And the third thing, whom do I want to see most of all? Who do you want to see most of all? Jesus. Amen. Jesus. Our Savior. Now when you answer those questions, you can see your true self. Amen? Why do you come here? Right? And then turn our attention to the one. The object of our faith. One. Who? God. We see Him. The object of our faith. Jesus. He's the object. Jesus is everything. The living Christ, for He alone heals. He alone saves. He delivers. He rescues us out of the miry pit. He sets our foot on a rock. His name is Jesus. That's Psalm 40, by the way. Psalm 40 is a great song. You ought to read it. He is the very object of our worship. You see, Hannah's song is the very embodiment of praise that we should be bringing. A radical song of worship to the one true God. He is her rock. He is her salvation. Her experience opens us up to worshiping the King. And here's why. Number three. Ready? Number three. True worship transforms. It changes us. When we truly worship the God above, He changes our life. Something's got to give. And he changes us. You see, Hannah's life was transformed. Her experience in chapter 1 left her agitated. It left her irritated. 
It's a troubled in spirit, anxious and in deep abiding pain because she couldn't have any children. She was picked on. Another way we can look at it this morning is uh, she was at war. You know, Hannah was at war. With who? Hey, she was at war with others. Penina, her husband. <laughs> she was at war with others. And the other probably ladies in the circle that just made fun of her because she couldn't have children. I mean, Penina in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, ridiculed her infertility. Listen, this was a potent source of pain for her. It hurt her deeply, causing other women to mock the deepest pain of her life. Scorning her for something she could not control. Mother's Day sometimes can be a very sad day for people. It's very sad for people who want to have children but cannot. And so you question yourself. Am I, am, I, am I the woman I should be? God, am I the woman you created me to be? The answer is yes. God wants to use you in spite of whether you can have kids or not. He's the only one that can satisfy you. Kids don't satisfy you. Amen. <laughs> that, was pretty, that was pretty strong amen right there. <laughs> That's funny, right? That's why I love grandkids. Yeah. Right? <laughs> grandkids are my blessing for not killing my own kids when they were teenagers. Right? <laughs> I love, I love my grandbabies. Now they're not so babies now, they're growing up. Hmm. Then there was her husband, Elkanah. Man, the dude was clueless, you hear me? He was clueless. And that's a shame. Sometimes spouses are not understanding or supporting us the way we think they ought to support. Amen? Loneliness, frustration, pain, agony, not being known or understood. It can be a terrible thing, just like Hannah. Leading us to be deeply hurt. Verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 1, she was deeply hurt. Wasn't just on the outside either, but there was conflict on the inside as well of her life. She had a broken heart, experiencing anguish and resentment. Verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1. So she was at war with others. But she was also, be it, she was at war with herself. Think about that. People who have trouble... And I want you to get this this morning. People have trouble on the outside. It's because there's a storm raging on the inside. All of us need to be sensitive about that. Amen? Amen. We all need to be sensitive. When we come in here, we need to be sensitive to that. We don't know what's going on inside of people's lives, but when there's trouble on the outside, I promise you, there's something going on on the inside. And we as church members, we as believers in Jesus Christ, should be compassionate enough and filled with the Spirit of this. Because we make up our minds every day to walk in the Spirit, right? Why do we walk in the Spirit? So that we don't fulfill what? The lust of the what? Of the flesh, right? Pinch yourself, right? How? Don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you do it? You've got to be determined every day to walk in the Spirit of God. Every day. Did you get up this morning determined to walk in the Spirit of God? Did that even, did that even enter your thought process this morning? If you feel guilty, that's my intent. <laughs> right? Not mine, but really the Holy Spirit's intent. So think about that this morning. You have a relationship with Jesus? 
Does he know you and you know him? Is there one that you talk to him? Or do you not say a word? If I have a relationship with you, you you'd write me off in a matter of a couple days. He doesn't care about me. Right? But yet we won't talk to Jesus. We need to talk with the Lord. She has a storm within. When I see people struggling on the inside, there's a storm raging. But let me tell you something. Jesus told Peter to get out of the boat. He said, get out of the boat. Come. He said, come. Peter said, can I come? Can I come, Lord? What did he say? Jesus said, no, stay in the boat. It's safer. He didn't say that. He said, come, Peter. Come. Come. Peter gets out. Walks on the water. Looks at Jesus. He's staring right at him, dead in his eyes. I can see eyeball to eyeball. Jesus is walking. What's he doing? He's walking on top of the storm. And the problem we have as people is we get our eyes on our issues and our problems. Just like Peter did. He turned his eyes off of Jesus. He looked at the waves and he looked at everything crashing. What did he begin to do? He began to sink. You will sink every time you take your eyes off the Lord. Every time. You will. We need Jesus. You know you cannot even live the Christian life apart from the Lord. And even with the Lord, you can't live the Christian life. It takes the Spirit of God and the Word of God and His presence in your life to live your life out the way Jesus wants you to do it. But you've got to be surrendered to Him. You've got to let Him lead your life. And so many times, we'll let Him lead it on Sunday morning. And we'll all shake our head like this. Oh, yes, Lord, I hear you. I hear you, Lord. And Monday morning comes and you're like, whoa, what's going on? And you're trying to fix everything that's messed up in your life. You need to stop trying to fix it. It doesn't mean you stop doing things. It means that you put your trust in the Lord to help you fix the issue. He's the only one that can fix it. Our life is a life we are needy people. You hear me? Every one of us needs the Lord every single day, every moment of every second Amen. of every day. That's why Jesus said, abide in me and I abide in you. It's abiding. It's not, you can't work it. If you're going to work it, you're going to wear yourself out. I can work being a pastor. And there's times I catch myself working. God doesn't want me to work it. He wants me to abide in Jesus and do what God tells me to do. Same for you. You do what Jesus tells you to do, and you just do it. Don't question it, just do it. But you've got to abide in Him, you've got to abide in you. Aren't you glad Peter looked at the Lord and walked on the water? Does that give you hope and encouragement this morning? That, you, know why, you know why that's in there? It's because you and I are going to have storms. We're going to have storms in our life. You probably already you might be in one. If, you, if you're not in one, or you came out of one, Hey, just wait. It's coming. I can guarantee that, right? It's like taxes. You can guarantee it. It's coming. The storm's coming. Brother Gary's been through a storm. And he was taking high-powered pain medicine, trying to get over his back and get his health back to him. He misses preaching. He's, he's a retired pastor. But 
Pastors don't retire. They're preached forever. So anyway, here he is. He's here. He don't even have his thing on, which his wife was cutting her eyes at him earlier. And so, because it's out in the car. But he don't, he don't have this little thing from his back surgery. But anyway, here he is. Coming out of the storm that's in his life. Has been in his life. Anybody been in a storm? Listen, there's always a way out. He's the way. And he's the truth in the life, right? Jesus tells us, man. Trust Him. Trust is a must. You must trust the Lord. And then finally, Hannah. She was in a war with God Himself. Think about this. She wept bitterly, pleading with Him for a son in verse 10 of chapter 1. She poured out her heart to her God, verse 15, right? She wondered what in the world was happening to her. Why is this happening, Lord? Why? Why was this happening? Ever been there? Why is this happening? This is all a bitter and hard pill for her to swallow. She could go to no other person. She had to go to who? To God's throne. It's the only one she could go to. This was Hannah's story in chapter 1. But see her story now in chapter 2. She is radically transformed from the inside, literally out. And look at her praising God who redeems her who saves her life, who gives her a child, and she won't even she says, God, you give me a child, I'll give him to you. Nothing matters to me anymore. It all belongs to you, God. Have you ever said that to God? Does everything belong to God that you have? Or will have? This was Hannah's story. Listen, there's a number of ways that God listen, in chapter two, her first word is what? In verse one. Praise to God. That's her first word, praise to God, right? She thanks God for overcoming the enemy, verses 3 through 5. In chapter 2, she sees her story in God's story in verse 8. In verse 8, remember, we do, we do, these, uh, we do these little three-minute testimonials, right? Because I'm always encouraging you to tell His story through your story. We all have a story. How has Jesus touched your life? How has He changed your life? And let people know how Jesus changed and transformed your life. Develop your three-minute story. How you were before you were saved. What happened at the time you were saved. And how Jesus has saved your life after your salvation. You need to develop a three-minute story. Because you're going to meet people. And in three minutes you can tell your complete story. Of how Jesus changed your life. We should all have that story. She knows God's character. His holiness and His justice. Verses 2 and verses 10. In chapter 2. And she sees God's coming salvation, right? She sees a coming king in verse 10. She sees the Messiah is going to come in verse 10. Her song moves. Listen to this. From emptiness to fullness. Amen? It moves. <coughs> she moves from pain to praise. Her heart moves from mourning to joy. From sadness to gladness. From an empty heart to the fullest heart you could ever imagine. And now I'm spitting in my Man. <clears throat> you see, worshiping the Lord transformed her life. Her life was transformed. Because of true worship. Because of true worship. You see, worshiping the Lord transformed because the true worship, listen, God meets with his people in true worship. Let's remember that every time we gather together. He wants to change you and me. 
You're not, he's not done with you yet. You're here. If he was done with you, you wouldn't be here. You'd be dead. All right? So it's important to know that worshiping the Lord transforms us. And it transforms us whether we feel like it or not. He transforms us whether we feel like it or not. Listen. Listen to this. Here's a quote by a pastor named Eugene Peterson. He says this. He said, worship is an act that develops feelings for God. Not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. Let me repeat that again. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God. Not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. God. You have a feeling for God? You come in here thinking about God? When we obey the command to praise God in our worship, our deep essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured and it's met. When you come in here and your focus is on Him and Him alone, listen, He will meet whatever your need is and concern. He will help you through it. And you may not see it corrected, but listen, He will give you the stamina and the strength and the wherewithal to see you through whatever you're going through. To help you walk on top of that storm. But you've got to do like Peter. Keep your eyes peeled on Jesus. Got to be. See, worship is not about feelings for God alone. Think about that. Transformation through worship comes as a result of our bowing our hearts and lives before our maker. We must do that. Through the good and the bad. Amen. Whether we fill it out. Radical transformation that comes through communion with God. That's where the transformation. You've got to be in oneness with him. And here's the overall point of our worship. Worship is the doorway to transformation. So when you come into his house, worship him. And let him change your life forever. In times of trouble, we want to commend the importance of talking with friends and spouse and family and those closest to us, right? To get comfort and peace of mind, right? We want to commend, listen, we want to comment the importance of leisure time and exercise when things are hard and difficult and the pain of life comes into our world. But we need to ask whether our first action in times of distress is in fact worship. Why? Because worship brings what, church? Transformation. Worship brings transformation. 1 Samuel 2 is really the last time that you hear Hannah in the Bible again. This is like the last time. Hers is a story of transformation from pain to joy. Because of what? The experience with God. She worships. She experienced God and she worships. He changed her life. She will be forever known as the woman who was greatly what? Transformed. Greatly transformed. That, that one whose life ends in worship. You want your life to end in worship. So listen, can you say the same for your life this morning? Can you say the same for your life this morning? Every head bowed and every eye closed. What does your life look like? How do you worship the Lord? Are you focused on Him or are you just trying to get needs met when you come into this building? Stop looking for your needs to be met and get your eyes peeled on Jesus who will keep you above the storms of your life. Allow God to be God over everything in your life. And I just want to tell you this morning, if you never trusted Him, 
Jesus your Savior, you have no God in you. I was telling a bunch of preschool parents Friday night, this place was packed. Friday night for a pre-K graduation. I said, man, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And if you're not prepared, if you don't know Jesus Savior, you're not prepared for heaven. And listen, I told him, I said, I said, heaven is not automatic. It's not an automatic place when you die because your grandmother was saved, your mother was saved, or whatever, that you're just going to go there. It's going to be osmosis. No, it, it doesn't happen that way. Well, God doesn't, Jesus wouldn't want anybody to go to hell. Why would he do that? He, what kind of a God is that? And you're right, he, he doesn't send no one to hell. The only people that go to hell and be separated from God is the ones that rebel and turn against the beckoning call of a Savior named Jesus to come into their life. When you reject Jesus, you make the decision to go to hell. God doesn't make it. He sent His only begotten Son. He loved you that much. We have a picture of God like some white-haired dude sitting on things on lightning bolts. That's not the God we serve. Oh yeah, He's a God of judgment and justice. He could do it too, buddy. But His character is love and compassion. And He tells us to love God with what? All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our mind, all of our strength. Do you love God with all that? Does He know you as a lover of God? Because He loves you and He demonstrated it on the cross. Receive Jesus this morning as your Savior. He died just for your sin. He died to give you everlasting life. Ask Him to come into your heart and to change your life. I promise you He will radically change your life. You know how I know? Because he changed my life. In 1987, in the military. Man, I was a hellion. You hear me? I did anything and everything and whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, with whomever I wanted. And God totally changed my life. I surrendered my will, my mind, my emotions to him. And when I got up from the floor, I knew he had come inside and totally changed my life. One day at a time. I lived the rest of my life giving more and more. Giving more and more to Jesus. I let Him change me. I let Him reveal in me the onion skin that needs to be peeled so I can get to the good meat on the, in the inside. My life is like an onion skin, right? All that garbage on the outside you don't eat. <laughs> and He peels it away for the rest of my life until He takes me home. And then I'll be perfected in Christ. And then my salvation will be absolutely complete. Positionally, because of the blood of Jesus, only the blood of Jesus am I saved. And because I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, you know what He did? He gave me righteousness. He brought it into me. I'm clothed in His righteousness. I have no good thing to offer. I have nothing to offer God, but He lavished His gift of grace on me and gave me righteousness. And I can live the rest of my life knowing that he's leading me and guiding me in every bit of truth. Is this you this morning? Do you know Christ is Savior? Have you made that decision to surrender to him? He may be squeezing your heart right now. Why don't you just let go? Let, let him have it. <laughs> See what the Lord can do. Come on, he holds the universe together in perfect sequence and order. And listen, he will arrange, rearrange your life. And you'll see the hand, the fingerprint of God on your life in such a way 
that you'll never be the same. I think about Jacob wrestling with God. <laughs> Jacob wrestled with God. What did God do? And he dislocated his hip. But God touched him. And when God touched him, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And you know, he wouldn't trade that limp away for nothing. Because God changed his life at that instant. He will change yours today. Ask him in your heart, say, Jesus, forgive me for all my sin. Come into my heart. I believe that you died on that cross for me. And that you shed your blood just for even me. I trust you with all that I am for all that you are. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul this morning. I give my life to you. I turn away from my junk and my life. I turn away from my sin. I turn away from my addictions. I turn away from everything, and I give it to you, Jesus. Give me your power. May your power be perfected in my weakness this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said what? Amen. Amen.